All right, we got a special treat for you this morning. I know that you guys are always tickled to death every time you get to hear somebody speak besides me, so that's a good thing, right? Uh, this morning, we have Brandon and Kim from Never Thirst, and they're going to share with you a little bit about uh, how the money that we raised, we raised $5,500, right? And that's pretty cool for, yeah, I know. Yeah, our, our, our goal was to raise $4,500 for a water project in Cambodia, and he's going to talk to you a little bit about different water projects they have going on. Uh, but I thought it was pretty cool that you guys raised more than that. We did like barbecue sales and all kinds of stuff. We did the, the lemonade stand in order to be able to raise money. So thank you guys for being part of that. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Brandon now. He's going to tell you a little bit about Never Thirst and how they got started and all that kind of good stuff. So you guys give him your attention. Thank you, Brandon, for being here. Appreciate you, brother. Well, uh, good morning. Uh, yeah, like Kenny said, my name is Brandon Gossett. Um, with Never Thirst, been a part of Never Thirst really from the uh, inception of it um, as a donor and then I joined the staff in 2012. But um, Never Thirst exists to advance the gospel through clean water worldwide. That's our mission statement. That's every decision we make as a ministry is it revolves around that. And so what that leads us to do is to work in some of the toughest places in the world. And so currently, we're, we are doing water projects in Cambodia, which you all are a part of, India, Nepal, South Sudan, Sudan, and Chad. Um, and again, the goal is to go into these places that would be considered unreached with the gospel, um, less than 2% Christian, but there's also a massive water need. And so what we want to do is come alongside the local church and believers in these areas and let them use water as a means to gain access into villages where they've maybe had limited or none in the past. And when you stand in a place like Cambodia and you listen to these pastors and they go into these villages and there's literally no believers or maybe one or two believers, you can walk up to people in Cambodia and mention the name of Jesus and they literally will say, who's that? And it's hard to believe in this world in 2016 that there are still 2 billion people that are considered unreached with the gospel. And on top of that, there's six, over 660 million today that still do not have access to clean water. And the World Health Organization will tell you that it's estimated around 800 to 1,000 kids will die every day from preventable waterborne diseases. But don't let that be a discouragement because when Never Thirst started in 2008, that number was 1.2 billion people that didn't have access to clean water. So the Lord is allowing us and Samaritan's Purse and a lot of other great groups to come alongside and help provide water to meet a massive physical need. And so I do believe within probably a decade that we'll see the world water problem go away. And you guys right here in Aniston are playing a role in that. And so on behalf of those who will be affected by your generosity, and you will get to see that. You will get a report back in the coming months that we'll send to Kenny, and he can share with you. There'll be a plaque, I don't know if you guys noticed in the video, on the well, and it'll say Simple Church. So you can know exactly how the money that you've entrusted to us, to your church, um, to go to the other parts of the world was actually used, and you'll hear that you'll have a GPS coordinate, so you can see it on Google Earth, um, you'll have a testimony from the pastor. You'll have a testimony from people in the village, and you'll have some other photos that you all can share, and you can pray directly 
um, for these people and know, hey, this is, this is how it was used. But in addition to the well, we do all kinds of filter projects and different things um, that the additional funds you guys raise will be used for. And the same thing, you'll get a report back um, for each of those. So I do want to share briefly because just being here this morning um, to see how mission-oriented this church really is. Um, I mean, it hits you in the face right when you walk in the door. And praise God for that. Praise God that this is a church that has a fabric to take the gospel to the nations. There's so many ways to be involved. And you guys did lemonade stands and barbecue sales and all these things to help people get clean water. Now you're doing, you know, Operation Christmas Child. And and there's stuff set up like you can get involved right today. You know, and it's just really great to see what the Lord is doing here. And Because what I want to tell you, though, is you guys really impersonate what the way Never Thirst was started in that there was a sermon by Dr. David Platt, some of you may be familiar with, and these three guys heard it, and it was on Psalm 67, 1 and 2. And Psalm 67, 1 says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, which is the blessing of God. And we love the blessing of God, but he doesn't put a, the psalmist doesn't put a period there. He puts a comma. And verse 2 says that your ways may be known on earth your salvation among all nations. And the question at the end of the sermon was, have you disconnected God's blessing with God's purpose? And the men who started Never Thirst were convicted by that and said yes, and that's what led them down this long journey, which I won't bore you with right now, but to, to see they've, God has blessed us immensely, but this is why he's blessed us. And you guys right here, this church, you guys are totally doing that. <laughs> It's great to see how the blessings God's entrusted each of you, and you're using that to make his salvation known among all nations. So thank you for allowing Never Thirst to be a small part of what you guys are doing. There's hundreds of ministries and NGOs and all these different things that you guys could partner with, and, and you're already partnering with a lot, but thank you for allowing Never Thirst to be a part of that. So I'm glad to be here this morning. I look forward to worshiping with you. I'm going to turn it back over to Kenny, but um, thanks again. Hang on just a second, Brandon. I do have something you guys might need to take back home with you. Uh, I do need to give this to you before I forget. (laughs) Connie signed it. I didn't sign it, but thanks, Brandon. Appreciate all you guys are doing. Yeah. You know... Brandon said that, and it really did. It was kind of cool. I was walking him around, just kind of showing him this place, and I was I got to thinking about well, there's there's the stands we're going to use for <laughs> stuff for Operation Christmas Child, and then he's here from Never Thirst, and and uh, and, and just so many different things going on all at one time, and I really got to thinking. About it. I was like, that really is the heartbeat of this church, and I I, I don't have. <laughs> any plans for doing anything different? You know, I was telling him about Haiti and our desire to go there and, and share the gospel in Haiti. And it's just like, it, it just kind of hit me. And then, and then Holly's selling beads out here um, for Uganda, you know, the life beads for Uganda. And I was like, man, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And I am so thankful that that is the heartbeat of this church, that that is really, that's, that's who we are. You know, I was asking somebody the other day, I was like, what would other churches call us? Would they call us a missional church? Or they, you know, what would I, I don't know. I, I just think it's a gospel-centered church. You know what I mean? It's 
It truly is simply about Jesus, you know? I, I, I don't know any other way to put it. I, I'm not really going to worry about labeling us so much. We're just going to continue to follow Jesus and do what Jesus called us to do. And other people can put a label on us. I'm not really worried about that, you know what I mean? Like, I was just kind of curious in my mind, what would other people call us? I don't know. But anyway, hopefully we'll just be known as a gospel-centered church, and that's where we'll, we'll be, right? All right, so I do want to bring a, a message to you um, from the book of Nehemiah. We've been in Nehemiah uh, now for a couple of weeks. I say a couple of weeks, five weeks. Now it's a six. Um, so uh, you know how we do things around here a lot of times? We go chapter by chapter through a particular book until God tells us to do something else. So that's where we are. We're in Nehemiah chapter 6, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, we, we talked last week in Nehemiah chapter 5 about how there was something that was worthwhile, worth uh, while for, for Nehemiah to pause and say, hang on a second, there's an injustice here, there's something we got to deal with, this is worth coming down off the wall for, for us to deal with something that's going on. And it was the fact that, that, that a lot of the leadership in Jerusalem were, were charging money and, and making a lot of profit off people that had nothing and how, how much that was causing just this uprising in the people and it's causing a disjointedness in the people and how that wasn't okay and they really dealt with that a whole lot. But if, if you go back, if you remember before, before that, we actually talked about the opposition that they faced. So it's this weird break in chapter 5 where they, they stop, and Nehemiah, as we're reading his diary, basically, um, there's this break where he, he has to deal with the situation. But then he goes right back to talking about kind of what he was talking about in chapter 4. And that is that, that there's some opposition to the work. Now, can you imagine for a second that as you're doing a work of God, that there might be some opposition to it? Some of you may have experienced this very thing that I'm talking about. And we talked about the fact that the part of that is because we have an enemy. We have an enemy who, who is opposed to the work of God. He's, he's trying to break the communication lines between us and God and trying to disrupt what God is doing in and through us, right? Like, we know that, that we have an enemy that's doing that. He's constantly at work trying to devour us, trying to seek us out and destroy us. That's his job. That's, that's what he does. That's his MO. It's to destroy us and, and ultimately stop the work of God is what's trying to happen there. And we know that people are used in this capacity all the time, right? We know that other people sometimes are instruments in order to be able to bring disruption in the work of God in our lives, in the work of God in our church, in the work of God in our missions that... that that people are sometimes, they're just wired to, to, to try to disrupt that, to try to break down that wall. And here we saw Sanballat and Tobiah, governors from, from Samaria and, and areas around, and they're trying to disrupt what's going on when the wall is being rebuilt. And what do they start with? I, I want you to recognize something today, that, that there's a couple of different tactics the enemy uses, all right? So one of the first things we saw is that, that they started to like, talk bad about them, right? They started to try to say, oh, what are these crazy Jews doing, man? Do they really think that they can rebuild this wall? Look, it's broken down, and they're trying to, to build it back up with stones that are broken in half, stones that have already been charred. And what, I mean, what are they trying to do? They think they're going to make a few sacrifices, and then everything's going to come back together? So they started to, like, jeer at them with words and try to disrupt them to, to, to become, like, you know, to get in their brains a little bit, right? To get in their wheelhouse a little bit and say, I don't know if we can do this, man. I don't know. I don't know if we can do this work, you know? And, and what else did they try? They tried another tactic. Once they, once they figured out that that wasn't really working, that they were going to continue to work, that, that they 
tried another tactic, and that was they tried to threaten them, right? They said, we're, gonna, we're not just going to talk about you. We're going to come, and we're going to attack you. Have you ever had a work of God in your life be threatened so much that it's like you can feel the very attack, you can feel the enemy breathing down your neck, you can feel like he's right there at the door. And if I continue doing this thing that God has called me to do, it may not turn out real well for me. It may not turn out so well at all. I'm telling you, the enemy has many, many tactics when it comes to trying to distract you from the work of God. So we're going to talk about a few more of those today, just really briefly in Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to go through Nehemiah chapter 6 and talk about some of those and help you to see. I want you to understand that this is a, a parallel to our lives, that, that this is, yes, this is Nehemiah talking about a wall, and he's talking about governors of Samaria, and he's talking about people around and, and, and all this, but I want you to understand that this is also just a picture of spiritual warfare in so many ways for our lives. That, that as we talk about broken nail walls in the church or broken nail walls in our spiritual life, that there's going to be attack against that. There's going to be times when it feels like it's not going to turn out so well if we continue this work that God has called us to do. That it may, it may mean our doom, it may mean our end. We we're going to have naysayers and people that are trying to come against us all the time. I'm telling you, if you do a work of God, you will come against opposition. It's not like you can just continue and do the, the thing that God has called you to do and never face any opposition and everything goes smoothly. I haven't seen that happen. I didn't even see that happen in our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, you think about when he very, we started this very first part of his ministry. Satan literally was at his front door trying to tempt him, trying to, trying to get him to doubt God. It's basically what Satan was trying to do as he tempted Jesus. I mean, I mean, constantly. I, and why do I think that, that if, if I'm doing a work of God, that I would be any different than Jesus? If Jesus faced opposition, am I not going to face opposition in my life? We have, we have a guy in our church. That, you know, we've been talking about going to Haiti. Uh, John, I'm going to call you out publicly. Sorry about that. But uh, God has called him. to. He, he, didn't, he said, I, I might be able to go with y'all when you go in the springtime, and that's wonderful, but I'm going right now, right? December the 4th, is that when you go to, to Haiti? Uh, John, I want to tell you that if you do a work of God like you've been called to do, you will face opposition. You will face, believe it or not, it, this is even crazy, that sometimes you will face opposition from Christians or people that call themselves Christians. You will find that, that, that people will be pushing against you and they may not recognize that what they're doing is, is a result of, of Satan working in and through them, but, but that's oftentimes a possibility. They don't recognize that, but you will face opposition, and that goes for anybody. Now, Brandon and Kim, I know that you face oppositions in, in everything that you do. I mean, whether it's being part of a church plant or, or, or going over to Cambodia to build a well, you're going to face opposition. I know that I faced opposition. I mean, it, starting of this church, but... I, I'm going to tell you a little bit later about, I mean, this really kind of, compared to the opposition I faced early in my life, early in my ministry life, this, you know, the opposition I faced here was kind of minimal. It really was. I mean, I know I got a lot of flack and there's a lot of people that said a lot of bad things about me and all that. And like, I just kind of smile, you know, and people say stuff about me because that, that's okay. People say stuff about me all the time. It's, it's perfectly fine. I'm used to that. You will face 
opposition. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 6. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies found out that I was finished rebuilding the wall, and then no gaps remained. Though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet with them in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, I will admit that I stole this from uh, Joshua Harris. He said, never go to a place called Ono. That's bad, right? Oh, no. <laughs> right? Yeah, never go to a place called Ono. But, but think about this, though. So they, they think, think about who they are. So, so these, are, these are like leaders, governors, the surrounding areas. I imagine that there was probably a temptation to Nehemiah to go and meet with these guys. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hobnob with some of the socialites a little bit, right? Like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hanging out with some of the guys, some of the other leaders in town. We're going to be... We're going to be doing our thing. And, and I can imagine that this is probably a little bit of a temptation for Nehemiah. I, you, you think about it. When you got the chance to go to the governor's palace and hang out for a little while, I mean, you might be tempted to say, yeah, I'd kind of want to do that. I'm kind of a big deal now. So think about how the enemy's trying to work on Nehemiah right here. He's trying to attack his pride. Oh, no, surely not. Surely the enemy wouldn't choose our pride as a source of attack. Surely he wouldn't take something like pride that, that we wage war against every single day of our lives and try to amplify that and try to use that against us. Surely that wouldn't happen, right? It happens all the time. We know that it happens. Uh, you know, it, it, for me, you know, I have to do everything I can to grind my pride to powder, to recognize that, that, that this is a work of God. It has nothing to do with me. God uses people all the time. Yes, I agree with that. But, but listen, what, what God is doing in me is what God is doing in me, okay? And, and God is the one that created this church, and God is the one that gave the vision, and God is the one that brings the people in here, and God is the one that adds to the church daily. It is not Kenny Nix that does that. But believe it or not, our pride can creep up in us, and we can think that it has something to do with us. And that can end up being a source of destruction for us once that pride starts to well up in us and we think that we're something, we think that we've arrived, and here Nehemiah is facing that, right? That, 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 that hey, the, the cool guys, they want me to come and hang out. Uh, the, the governors want me to come hang out with them. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should go into the plane of, oh, no, yeah, not a good idea. But, as we're reading Nehemiah's diary, but I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied saying this message, I am engaged in a great work, so I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Now, I love this mentality of Nehemiah. He's a worker. He's a worker bee. I love that about Nehemiah, because I happen to be a worker bee myself. Um, that's just how I'm wired. People get onto me all the time, because I do construction and stuff around here. I like to work. I'm sorry. I do. Sometimes it makes people feel bad because they don't like to work as much as me. I'm, I'm sorry about it. I just like to work, okay? So here we see Nehemiah. He says, I can't stop the work. What you're, whatever it is that you want, guys, I, I, I bet it's probably not good because it's in the plane of Ono. I, I bet that it's not good. So I, I'm not coming down off the wall. I've got stuff to do. <laughs> he just tells him he's busy. I mean, they, 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 they called his phone he just replied back on his iPhone, I can't talk right now, you know, and the message went back to him, and, and he's like, I, I, not right now, guys, there's work going on, I gotta, I gotta do some other stuff. Four times, they sent the same text message, they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sam Mellon's servant came 
with an open letter in hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor uh, among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're rebuilding, you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. Uh-oh. <laughs> he also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to, pro- to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. You're not going to believe what just happened. They spread rumors about Nehemiah. Rumors. Can you believe that the enemy would use rumors? Crazy talk, right? They, what, what, they've started rumors, things that aren't true. In, in Nehemiah, let's, let's go ahead and read the, the next, next few verses. It says, I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. He says, liar, liar, pants on fire, right? Like, so what, like... They're making up stuff. I mean, the reason this is a big deal is because the strength of Jerusalem was a very big deal to the enemies around there. And that's the reason it had to be destroyed in the first place, because we're going to tear down your walls, and you're not going to be strong, and you're not going to have a king, and all this kind of stuff. So what do they do? They start stirring up rumors and saying, hey, you're trying to build up the kingdom again, and you're going to be king. And, and you've even, you even got prophets saying that, that here's the, the new king and, and all of this kind of stuff. And Nehemiah's like, that's not what's going on here. That is not at all what happens. is happening here. This is all about the glory of God and the representation of these walls showing that God's protection and his provision for his people and the fact that we are God's people. And the reason they were torn down in the first place is because we sinned against God and now we're coming back. And this is all about us reuniting with God. And that's what this is about. It is not about building up and being strong again. These walls are representative of the very presence of God, and it's about the very presence of God in our lives. That's what it's about. It's not about being a strong kingdom. He says, you're just making that up about me. I can't tell you how many times in my own life, man, that, sorry, there's one that just came to mind. I'm not going to tell you about it. It's okay. Some of you in this room know what I'm talking about, but there was one thing in particular and, and it was a doctrinal position that, that a lot of people had a big issue with. And they tried to say that, that I was on this side of the line or that side of the line and all this kind of garbage. And they were getting away from the true gospel and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ and trying to make a, a mountain out of a molehill is what was being done. And, and I can tell you that there are some people to this day as a result of some of the things that were said about me that, that hate my guts. And they ain't got a clue... And I, I told him, I said, there was, there was one minister in particular, he's a good friend of mine, he called me, he said, this is what some people are saying about you, tell me where you stand. And I, I shared exactly where I stood on this doctrinal issue. Now, the reason I'm not bringing it up to you now is not because it's not important. I'm just not bringing it up to you now because that, 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 that was something that, that, that people tried to make into a big deal, and I don't want anybody making that into a big deal, because I really don't care. Amen. I really don't care. You know what I care about? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, the, and the love and the provision of God, and that's what I care about. People want to nitpick these little things out of the Bible where they, they, they think it means this, and some people think it means this, and I go, well, if you can understand God completely, then come talk to me because you're Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I really want to talk to you if you can completely understand the Word of God and every single detail that's in there. I really do. 
But there are some people to this day that hate my guts based on some things that were said about me. And I'm okay with that. I really am. Because all I can say to them is the same thing that Nehemiah said. What you are saying is not true. And, and I told this, this brother of mine who came to me and approached me about this issue. I said, look, you have a responsibility now. That if you hear these rumors, if you hear people saying this stuff about me, you have my cell phone number. You have them call me on that number and I will explain to them where I stand doctrinally on this particular issue. Don't let them continue to talk about the rumors or what they think they know. Have them call me directly on my cell phone. I don't care if it's day or night. I don't care who it is. Tell them to call me. I will explain where I stand. I never got a single phone call. Can you believe that? I never got one person that, that called my cell phone to ask me where I stood on that particular issue. But I do know this. The rumors continued. And the rumors continue to this day. What you're saying is not true. What you're saying is not true. They were just trying to intimidate us. Imagining, <laughs> I love that, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. Imagining. They were dreamers. They were dreamers thinking they could stop the work by spreading some rumors. Amen. I like that. Yeah. Imagining that they could, he said, sorry, <laughs> this kind of fires me up, man. <laughs> I saw it. Sometimes you read scripture and it's like a mirror, right? Like we know that about scripture. And this one happens to be a mirror for me. It says, so I continue the work with even greater determination. They tick me off is basically what happened. And I, I, my, my thought process is I'm going to continue the work of God. And, and you can say or do whatever you want to. I'm just going to continue pursuing Jesus and what Jesus has called me to. And I don't really give a rip what you say. As a matter of fact, your rumors and your discouragement doesn't do anything but push me to do it even harder. It makes me want to work longer hours. It makes me want to go to other places in the world and continue this work. It does not discourage me. It is having the opposite effect than what you think that it is. So I continued the work. It seems like there's a common theme in Nehemiah that every time he faces opposition, there's this thing that he keeps saying, so I continued the work. We continue building the wall. Oh, well, the good news is the enemy gave up. The enemy said, enough is enough, and he, he's not going to be distracted by us. We're going to give up. Is that what the enemy usually says? No. Later, I went to visit Shemaniah, the son of Deliah, the grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home he said let us meet together in the temple of God and bolt the door shut your enemies are coming to kill you tonight why is that a big deal what, what, what's the enemy up to here this is just some guy said I know what we can do man the enemy's coming we'll just close ourselves up in the temple we'll hide out in the temple well that wasn't okay for Nehemiah to do that was against the law he was trying to question his integrity, get people to question his integrity. 
even in the face of fear, the people, I mean, they were telling him that they're not coming tomorrow or the next day or next week or next month. They're coming tonight and they're coming for your head, Nehemiah. So maybe you should compromise just a little bit so that you can, you can go and you can hide out and save yourself. Maybe that's what you should do, Nehemiah. It's okay this one time to, for compromise to come in. It's, it's okay. It's all right, Nehemiah. Let's just go into the temple. You know what was way more important than Nehemiah's neck? It was his integrity. His unwavering integrity. That was more important to Nehemiah than his own life. Look what it says. Verse 11 says, But I replied, Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone uh, in my position enter into the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him, and he was hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. He was trying to trick me into sin. You know, God had, I believe God had revealed this to Nehemiah because it says, it says, I realized that God had not spoken to him. The, the only way that you can know that is if God's speaking to you, right? And I believe God was making it clear to him, Nehemiah, don't do that. Don't, don't go into the temple. Don't hide out in the temple, even if it means your own neck. Nehemiah, you listen to me. You don't listen to, to the opposition, it may seem like they're trying to help you out. It may seem like they're trying to, to encourage you to be okay. But that's not what's going on here. Y'all, listen to me. Listen to me. We need to listen closely to the Holy Spirit of God. As God leads us and directs us, even when it seems like somebody's trying to help us or save us, we need to listen not to that person but to God and God alone. Because even people that, that seem very godly sometimes cannot be doing a work of God, can be actually going against God. And I want you to understand that it is very important for you to listen to God. That is one of the things that I'm absolutely adamant about in this church, is us tuning into the Holy Spirit of God, who lives inside our very chest. He's the one that directs our every step, even, even in the face of opposition, even when it means that it may not turn out very well for us. You listen to God and to God alone. In the middle of spiritual warfare, if that's what you want to call this, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, you know who you need to listen to. I know it sounds crazy, but here at Simple Church, we'd like to keep it simple. Listen to God. Listen to the very Holy Spirit of God. There's a reason that He exists in three parts. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Comforter has come. And when Jesus had left, that, that, that he might be able to indwell us and be able to lead us and comfort us and strengthen us when we need it the most. And, and he's there for, for a purpose. And, and you don't need to ignore him. Especially in the face of opposition. And especially in the face of doing a work of God. That we need to tune into the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, listen to how he's, 
this is Nehemiah. I want you to think about him writing this down in his journal. Listen to what he says. And remember, O God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sembalat have done. And remember, Nodadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. He's, he just goes, breaks into talking to the Lord. Don't we see this over and over again in Nehemiah? Every single time he comes under attack or he has a question in his mind, he just goes to the Lord and starts talking to the Lord. Do you think that has something to do with him being tuned in to the voice of God? Is the fact that he continues to, to talk to the Lord? How do we expect to listen to God when we're not talking to God? And here, Nehemiah is just simply talking to the Lord. Telling him about, about his, his struggles and, and his life and what's going on and how he's coming under attack. And he's just talking. It doesn't have to be some lofty prayer, y'all. Just talk to him. Just, just talk to God. Tell him what's going on in your life. Believe it or not, you don't even have to ask him for anything. You can just talk to him. We, we think sometimes that we got to come to God with this laundry list of needs and, and wants and desires and all this kind of stuff. And, and there's some churches that preach that, man. You know what I preach? Talking to Jesus and listening to Jesus. So, so on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 50 day, two days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized the work had been done with the help of our God. Oh, really? So, so when were they frightened and intimidated? When they realized this was a work of God. Wasn't that the whole purpose of rebuilding the walls to begin with? To show God at work in their lives and the very presence and provision of God in their life. Wasn't that the whole purpose? Wasn't that the whole reason why the enemy was against them? Not because they were going to be a strong empire, but it was going to show that God was with these people. And they were frightened and humiliated. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, son of uh, uh, Era, and the son of Jehonah, and was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berkiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then he, they told him everything I said, and Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. Now here we see Nehemiah just talking about over and over again how they finished the work in 52 days. 52 days they, they rebuilt the wall. It's the same wall that Tobiah and Sanballat and all those guys said that, man, if they just, if a fox even runs across the top of that wall, it's going to be destroyed. And here it's stronger and it's it's better, and, and people are rejoicing about the fact that the wall has been rebuilt and God has done this work, and the enemy is intimidated and humiliated because of the stuff that they said. And the enemy's constantly attacking, even, even in the face of walls being built, even in the face of, of success being shown, and that God's doing the work, the enemy's still attacking. I want to tell you today that the enemy will never stop attacking as we continue to do the work of God. The enemy will continue to try to stop the work of God. If you think for a second that, that, that you're, uh, you, you're going to have an easy path in front of you when you do the work of God, if you think for a second 
that, that things are going to be smooth sailing once you, you take on the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are dead wrong. You are dead wrong. I, I'm going to share with you my personal story in this regard, and, and that is that I felt this calling of God on my life into to gospel ministry. And that's a very churchy thing to call it. We're all called to gospel ministry, by the way, in case you're wondering. But I didn't know what else to call it, but I, I felt like it was supposed to be a vocation, even though this is a volunteer activity. I don't even know what I do, by the way. I'm just the guy that stands up here and tells you what that book says. Um, so anyway, I, I could feel God's pulling me in this direction. And, and I've told you before that while I was cutting the grass, God would show me things that I would tell people about the Word of God. And I figured out later on that that was actually called sermons. I didn't recognize that at the time. I just thought, man, if I could tell people about Jesus, this is what I would tell them. Turns out those were sermons. So anyway, so I, I feel this whole thing, and I finally surrender this calling of God. God, I, yes, okay, I give, you know, uncle, whatever, I'm in, you know, just do whatever you got to do in my life. I'll say yes, and, and you just lead, and I'll follow you, and whatever that means, I'm in, okay? So finally, I just gave up, and I said that, all right? Well, after kind of making this official, I felt like I was supposed to go to seminary. Now, I'm not downing seminary. You can go to seminary. You can, you know, it's like eat the fish, spit out the bones, whatever. That's fine. Go to seminary. I felt like God was calling me to seminary. So I said, okay, well, there's this calling on my life. People are, you know, if they're going to be in gospel ministry, then they got to go to seminary. So I'll go to seminary. All right. So I'm going to get my transcripts from Jacksonville State because you got to get a master's in divinity. you got to have those letters behind your name in order for people to listen to you. So I'm going to get an MDiv and, like, I have to show them I got a bachelor's degree so I can get a master's degree, right? So I, Jacksonville State University, I write to them, hey, man, I need my transcripts. I'm sending it. Uh, to a school, and, and I'm trying to get my master's degree, blah, blah, blah. So Jacksonville State University sends me my transcripts. And things seem to be going smooth, right? God's put a calling on my life. I'm responding. I'm about to go to school. I'm about to try to figure this whole thing out. And six days later, six days, my little girl's in the bathtub, and she just had to spend the night party. And she, was, she fell asleep. And I thought it was cute. And I just got down low and took a picture of it. Oh, look, she's exhausted from the birthday party. Well, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, unfortunately, um, she kept sleeping. And we ended up thinking that she had meningitis. So we took her um, to cares, uh, urgent care place down here. And we were trying to figure out what's going on. And the doctor said, I think... She may have meningitis, you know. That may be the reason she's, she's so sick. And I said, well, we're going to take her over to Children's Hospital just to be safe. And they took her in and put the mask on her and all this kind of stuff. And turns out, um, you guys know this story, but, but my daughter had a brain tumor the size of an orange. And it was like right here in the front of her brain. I was thinking, so... Lord, this is how you say thanks. This, this, is, this is what happens if I surrender my life to the call to ministry. This, this is what happens. Is it, and now my daughter's got a brain tumor. 
I thought the path was supposed to be a little bit easier. I didn't know it was supposed to be harder. Six days. Six days after I hadn't gotten those transcripts. Well, time went on and we battled the cancer, chemo, radiation. Went up to Boston, did radiation up there. And uh, things were looking good. They were looking good. So I decided I'd go back and start trying to go to seminary, right? Like, okay, well, now's the time. You know, things are starting to turn around, things are going good. So I, I, I submit my application to start seminary. And boom, 10 days later, the cancer is back. The cancer is back. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? You know the rest of the story, and you know that, that my daughter ultimately lost her life to cancer. And the enemy attacked really hard, and the struggle was really real. And I'm still here. And I'm not going to quit. And no matter what attacks the enemy brings to my front door, I'm okay with that. Because that's exactly what happened to my Savior Jesus. Am I saying that when attacks come against you and um, you can feel the enemy breathing down your neck, that you're supposed to just be okay and you're supposed to, to just stand there and, and be strong? No, that's not what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. You go the opposite way. That when the enemy comes to your front door, that, that when, when difficulty strikes, when people are talking about you, when there's rumors, when there's people that seem to be your friend that really aren't, I want you to rejoice in that struggle. I want you to not just stand strong in the face of it. I want you to praise Jesus in the face of it. And if you need to, stretch out your arms to remember what he did for you and, the, and the, how difficult the struggle was for him. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying, God, if there's any way to take this cup of suffering away from me, do it. And then he finishes up by saying, God, your will be done, not my will. Do I want you to stand strong in the face of opposition? No, I want you to rejoice in the face of opposition. I want you to look at that situation and say, at least now I get to understand a little bit more of what Jesus endured. At least now I get to be a little bit closer to my Savior who gave his life for me. I want us to fly in the face of opposition. I want us to go the opposite direction and say, you know what? I, I, I'm not afraid of your challenge. I welcome your challenge. Because I know that doing a work of God is going to be fraught with difficulty and is going to be fraught with heartache. That's what a work of God looks like. But I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to continue to build the wall. And no words that you say, no actions you take against me are going to distract me from the work that God's called me to do. I want that to be my testimony. I want that to be this church's testimony. I want to be, that to be the testimony of every single person in this building that when the opposition came, when the difficulties came, when the struggle was real, they just said, I'm going to do it anyway. 
Because if it's a work of God, it's not going to be easy. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for this precious word and how you challenge us through it. Lord, I just pray for the Christian that is in this place, the believer, the Christ follower who is in this place that is pursuing your face. They're seeking the very face of God, and you've called them to a great work, and they are being challenged by opposition. Whether it be slander or rumors or, or, or something that the words are just flying against them every single day and they feel like they can't, Lord, I pray for that person. I pray that they would see the works of God are, are, are fraught with peril. They're fraught with, with people coming against them. Lord, and I pray that when the real attacks come, when it's no longer just words, but when it is, is threats against their own life or the lives of their children, God, I pray that they would stand strong. God, for some of that, us, that, that looks completely different, that they're... There's all different kinds of ways the enemy attacks us, and, and he always attacks our weak spots. So, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that they would not just stand strong in the face of the opposition, God, but they would rejoice in the face of the opposition because they know it's a work of God. And then, Lord, I pray for the person who isn't a Christ follower. I pray for them and I ask you to touch their lives and help them to see that Jesus, he faced opposition. People that he was called to, to die for, Lord, they spit on him. They cursed him. They beat him. They beat him to the point where he was unrecognizable as a human being. And he didn't back down from that. He continued to seek the will of the Father. He continued to, to seek the will of his loving father who had a love for the people of this world, even the people that went against him. Lord, he had a passion and a desire that they might be saved. And that the people in here that feel like that they have no right to be saved, I pray that they recognize that that's exactly the kind of people that God pursues. May they surrender wholly to you, God, and say, God, whatever you have for my life, be glorified. May they be saved today. May they be rescued from themselves. May they turn towards you. Maybe for the first time ever in their life. May they turn towards you. God, that you would rescue them from death to life. Thank you for the sacrificial loving nature of Jesus and the example that he set for us. May we live that way. May we live that way. May we glorify him and bring people to him. God, this time belongs to you as we respond to you in whatever way people may need to respond. God, I pray that they would do that in obedience to you. This is your time. In Jesus' name, amen.